Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode in our podcast series, Beyond Markets. My name is Cheryl Tan and I'm Head of Fund Specialist Singapore at Julius Baer. Today we have with us Jens Pierce, CEO and CIO of Mirova US. Hello Jens, thanks for joining us today. Hi Cheryl, glad to be here. The 2021 UN Climate Change Conference, also known as COP26, kicks off on October 31st in Glasgow. Its significance lies in the fact that it is the first such conference where countries are due to update their emissions reduction pledges or national determined contributions since the Paris Agreement in 2015. Today, we will discuss expectations of the conference, what governments and companies need to do, and how investors can contribute to the transition to net zero and participate in what will likely be a multi-trillion dollar investment opportunity. Yes. COP26 is the first UN climate change conference to be held after the COVID-19 outbreak and is widely expected to be a watershed event in the race to net zero. What do you think are the key objectives of the conference? We've had a lot of extreme weather events during the past six months, and they've made it quite clear that we may have less time to solve the climate crisis than what most people had thought. Extremely strong hurricanes in the US, floods and wildfires in both the US and Europe, were caused and made worse by climate change. And while climate change was already high on the political agenda, especially in Europe, there's clearly a lot more pressure from companies and consumers on politicians to start taking real and urgent action. The key objective of COP26 will therefore be to get all countries to agree on strong language and concrete actions and targets related to carbon emission reduction. And to be honest, this has always been the objective of any climate conference before, but I believe the stars this time are more aligned than ever before to get to an agreement. So what are your expectations? My expectations are higher than for previous conferences, especially as many countries have already announced the target timeline to get to a zero carbon economy. We may also see the initial plans of a more common approach to carbon pricing and the potential creation of a global carbon credit market as well. This will be essential to achieve carbon neutrality. I do somehow expect the US, the UK as a host, the European Union, and also China to all compete to be seen as a leader in this initiative. Now, that said, the challenge will be the months after the conference, during which each country will have to translate all this into real action. But at least I expect a framework which will help political leaders and companies to work on solutions beyond a normal election or business cycle. Good to hear that you're a little bit more optimistic this time, Jens. Achieving net zero requires a significant reduction in greenhouse gas emissions in all sectors of the economy. So besides governments, we will need companies to commit as well. In the race to develop a COVID-19 vaccine last year, we witnessed the power of public-private partnerships globally. Climate change is arguably more deadly and has longer-lasting effects on global economies and livelihoods. Do you think this partnership model will be effective in the race to net zero? I think that there are two very significant differences between the race to develop a COVID vaccine and the battle against climate change. Firstly, COVID brought all economies to an abrupt standstill almost overnight, while climate change is a much slower process. 
And this makes the urgency a lot less visible for many people. Now, secondly, there was also no cure or vaccine against COVID, while solutions for climate change already exist through energy efficiency and renewables like wind and solar. So it's mainly a matter of scaling up and finding the right financial resources. So how can public-private partnerships support or accelerate the transition to net zero? Public-private partnerships will play a key role in financing this transition, especially as many governments have little financial leeway after dealing with the COVID crisis. Infrastructure funds, for instance, they do project financing, bring government entities and industrial companies together for big infrastructure programs around energy efficiency and renewable energy, retrofitting government buildings, for instance, with better insulation and LED lighting, and developing large-scale renewable energy projects using more mature technologies such as wind and solar. In more emerging technologies such as hydrogen, industrials, governments and investors all work together to finance and develop large projects. This is, in fact, very similar to what happened during the COVID crisis and the development of vaccines. By creating a market which was not there before, companies are incentivized to create innovative solutions more quickly. Speaking of green technologies, which do you think are the most likely and scalable near term? Of the more mature technologies, we expect the highest growth to continue to be in wind and solar. Large-scale energy storage and batteries is also one area that is becoming more mature, but where we expect many evolutions over the short term, leading to lower prices and resulting in higher growth. And this should all coincide with a very rapid expansion of the electric car fleet. Planes, boats and big trucks, on the other hand, are more difficult to power with wind and solar, which is why the large traditional oil and gas companies are now betting fully on, on them becoming the leaders in hydrogen and ideally in green hydrogen. Existing gas infrastructure could potentially be converted to be used for hydrogen. And if you can meet demand in a cost-effective way, the opportunity is phenomenal. There's a lot of talk about the potential for carbon capture and storage as well. But by the time we could do this at an acceptable price, I personally would expect that hydrogen could offer a much more cost-effective solution. We also tend to focus a lot on electricity production but heating and cooling can be very energy intensive. And in many cases, especially for heating, also very much dependent on fossil fuels. So that's why I also see a lot more opportunities for more energy efficient solutions for residential heating and for cooling as well, powered by local solar production. Exciting times and looks like a lot more investments in R&D will be needed in the years to come. Thank you. The transition to clean energy will not be smooth. China and India have been facing a power crisis and had to ramp up coal production. This underscores the challenges many economies face as they reconcile their current dependence on thermal power with longer-term plans for greater contribution from renewable energy. What do you think can be done to expedite this transition, Jens? I talked before about the need to scale up. This will take time, unfortunately, and we are now going through a very difficult transition away from fossil fuels towards a low-carbon economic model. We don't currently have enough renewable energy production and energy storage capacity to deal with the increasing energy demand and the need to replace old energy plants. We will also need to temporarily invest in solutions other than wind and solar. Nuclear energy, natural gas and coal plants may still need to be developed over the short term. However, I think it may be difficult to find private market financing for some of those as the expected lifetime of some of those plants could be short. Most utilities may not be willing to finance the construction of a plant, which may only be operational for 15 or 20 years or so, in my opinion. So the future looks dark 
especially for those new coal plants. Gas plants may have a better future as they could potentially be converted for the use of hydrogen. But that may also be a bumpy transition, especially in countries who have no natural reserves in natural gas themselves. We see currently what is happening in Europe with the shortages in gas supply leading to unsustainably high prices. Some UK utilities went bankrupt because of it. Bottom line is that we will indeed need to accelerate the low carbon transition and COP26 should in that respect be a catalyst. Well, let's hope COP26 proves to be an effective catalyst. I recall a statement from the IEA chief, Fatih Biro. More than 80% of the emissions in the next 20 years will come from emerging countries, and only less than 20% of the clean energy investments go to emerging countries. What does this mean from an investment perspective? Well, emerging markets are indeed responsible for a large proportion of the current emissions. Now, this is partly because their industrial infrastructure is less energy efficient than in more developed economies, while at the same time their energy generation is also more fossil fuel based. But it's also partly because they are responsible for the production of most of the consumer goods used in the developed economies. We will therefore need to work together to make their economies more energy efficient and develop local renewable energy production. Emerging markets are also more exposed to the negative consequences of climate change. More developed countries will also need to help them to develop solutions for climate change adaptation. Emerging market investments, especially investing directly in local projects, are generally riskier, however, and therefore typically largely ignored by big institutional investors. But this is also where the opportunity is and why you will see an acceleration of investments by both local companies and companies from more developed countries using their expertise and looking for higher returns driven by somewhat higher risk and lower competition. Absolutely agree that we need greater collaboration between developed and emerging economies to advance climate mitigation and adaptation technologies, as well as channel more capital to emerging countries. Investor interest in climate impact investments is definitely there. We launched a number of impact PE funds over the past 18 months, investing in the blue economy, agri-tech, climate tech, which were all very well received, as were impact-aligned thematic funds. Well, these largely focus on investing in developed markets with some exposure in EM. But I think that given the nascent growth in the green technology space and strong investor interest, the allocation to emerging markets will increase in the years to come. Overall, I think the investment opportunity set for sustainable thematic and impact funds in both private and public markets globally will continue to grow as the industries develop, offering investors a wider range of exciting and attractive investment prospects in the years to come. So last question for you, Jens. Are capital markets factoring in climate risk and rewarding companies that consider environmental as well as social and governance factors? For a long time, financial markets have largely ignored environmental, social and governance information when analyzing investment opportunities. But that is changing fast. Climate risks and opportunities are some of the better research factors in this context. So we have seen that prices are starting to better reflect those risks and opportunities. Fossil fuel companies have underperformed renewable energy companies for the better part of the past 10 years. Car manufacturers producing electric cars are valued higher than traditional car manufacturers. I recently read a study saying that even traditional oil and gas companies which have committed to a zero carbon policy have outperformed their peers which have not. Another factor is the law of numbers and the collective power of individual investors. Sustainable investments are one of the fastest growing segments of the market, and this has started to slow down the financing options for companies with a less sustainable profile. 
We were talking to a European utility company recently about the transition to become fully renewable. And we were wondering what their plans were with a gas-fired power plant that they still own. And the answer from the CEO was that they could not find a buyer at an acceptable price. It has become more difficult to find the resources to develop or operate less sustainable assets. This is another sign that financial markets are starting to reward positive impact. And that can only be a good thing as new investments will mainly focus on this area. That's great to hear. Thank you, Jens. This brings us to the end of this episode. It was great to have you share your thoughts and valuable insights. Thank you everyone for tuning in and goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.